This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. Uh, this is a little bit out of the ordinary for us. We're actually going to cover something that largely affects the pro game specifically. So last week, there were a couple of announcements made. Uh, basically, Wizards sort of, oh, just, you know, we're reorganizing. The MPL's going to change a little bit. We're going to do things a little bit differently now that we've suspended in-store play again. Mm -hmm. And they kind of just treated it like it was nothing. Uh, the issue is that, as a number of pro players raised later, that it really, really makes it difficult now. After all of the steps that they've made, they've done to make it become easy to see this ladder, uh, suddenly it's a lot more difficult to be a pro Magic player. And at first, it may not seem like there's too much influence there uh, on the financial aspect, but that's kind of what we're going to get into the nitty-gritty with. Yep. Uh, before we do that, I did want to gloss over very quickly an announcement that was made uh, also by Wizards of the Coast that Pioneer Masters is going to make its way to Arena by the end of 2020. That's going to be huge. We'll digest that at a later date, but it's something that kind of got lost in the shuffle with everything going on this week. So just look for the announcement, do some research, and come back. We'll have more on the topic. But for now, mm -hmm. MPL restructure and what it means. Yep. Uh, so we talked about this at the beginning of the cast just to kind of get a feeling for where we both were uh, in regards to understanding and come to find out we pretty much extend it, uh, understand it as it was explained and it took me three different podcasts to to really uh, digest because i don't pay attention to the mpl structure it seems kind of weird compared to some of the other games that uses terms like rivals and challengers yeah uh so uh between bash bros and allied strategies and mtg grindcast i basically was able to discern that if you are in Rivals right now and you are not able to claim one of the top four spots to remain in the MPL, you actually have an easier time getting into the MPL as a rival than you would as somebody already in uh, the MPL. And that is what a lot of kind of concern is structured around, is that uh, some contracts are ending prematurely overall. There are a lot of content creators that were kind of culled. Uh, last week, some were reminded they had to be, do a little more community work, and then some profiles backed out fairly publicly yeah. of the seemingly backed out of the MPL as a whole because they just can't keep up with these changes in the way things have restructured and the fact that they can't have a predictable income from this system. Yeah. Uh, and it's it wasn't just like random people. It was like Andrea Mangucci, I think Maynard said a couple of things. It was some pretty high profile, high impact players that had kind of come out on Twitter in addition to obviously podcast coverage and basically said like, look, this is, you know, you gave us a dream and mm -hmm. we had it and now you're taking it away. Yes. And that's a really bad feeling for everyone. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really good information. They get into it pretty well on Bash Bros. They actually talk about how now with this restructuring, you're going to have a lot of matches and a lot of tournaments between all three tiers of competitors where they will have different stakes in a singular game where somebody might be completely out of it playing for something completely different than somebody who's on the cusp. 
and this yeah. doesn't close the collusion loophole. This actually widens the collusion uh, the collusion loophole. It makes the overall tournament structures a little more dicey, and I would recommend going to listen to that cast. It's it's pretty heady in that regard because Brad and BBD just get real deep into it, and yeah, they do a good job explaining what <clears throat> the change means for people who are competing on at all three levels for what might be the sim the same or different goals. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's also interesting because this may have an indirect like the the thing that I'm most interested in is seeing how this affects the metagame because you have certain players that gravitate towards certain archetypes mm -hmm. and they just naturally find a viable form of that archetype or do their best to do so. Uh, you know, Reed Duke is Mr. Jund. Yes. Kiamwa uh, Fotapa could take this bottle of soda, paint it white and blue, and top eight a pro tour with it. Doesn't matter. He'll find a way to make control work. Mm -hmm. So seeing a lot of these like known entities cycle in and out of this high-level play, I'm kind of interested to see what it does to the metagame because you may have people that naturally gravitate towards certain archetypes that kind of fall, fall by the wayside or even just like, well, I mean, if this is it, there's been so many changes similar to Jerry, I'm out. And if that happens, I think that to me is the thing I'm most interested in seeing because I mm -hmm. think what you'll see is just at first glance, I expect a lot more volatility on standard because the decks with eyes on them, the players with eyes on them are going to be a lot different. Mm -hmm. I also think it's going to require wizards to change their presentation some because as it stands, with your 32 players in the MPL, you know the personalities. You know what you're getting. Yep. You know how they are on camera. You know how they are with each other. You know these things. And it may be all of a sudden that you get something like just a wild card or, God forbid, you don't properly vet one of your people. Not that they would ever neglect to do that in any situation ever. Um, and something happens. And... I think that while we always say casuals drive the market at the end of the day for standard and most constructed formats, it's the competitive play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously the hive mind of the internet can come up with some amazing decks, but you're not going to get a deck like Shota's going to pilot without Shota being there. Correct. The internet isn't coming up with that. Yeah. And that's the type of thing that you may see a little bit less variety, and all of a sudden you see things more homogenized than they are now in a mono growth spiral format. But yeah, where not everybody's trying to break it because they need to make they need to hit the same goals. It, I, I yeah. think that's a it's a caveat that actually of the contract overall that is touched on very heavily in the Bash Bros. Uh, yeah podcast about playing each game to the best of your ability yeah. and. So that means if you are somebody that gravitates to a different archetype, but your goal is no longer to remain in the MPL because you know you can't for the rest of that season, you're going to drop down a tier, then you can then you can move to something else. And e yeah. if you win out from there on that uh, that other archetype, then yeah, you might splash the pot, so to speak. You're no longer you might actually see people break off of the homogeny that is the standard format. Something like that yeah. similarly happened this past weekend at the Star City event the tournament on Saturday and the tournament on Sunday. And on Saturday, I think it was the entire thing was won by a mono red deck. 
and then yep. that red deck was basically ran back with one card change, but in total population of four. They played the um, the Act of Treason for one. Yeah, I can't remember the that name. That's great. I can't uh, remember. The name steal of... the firstborn. Yeah, yeah uh, claim the firstborn. Claim yeah. the one that it messes. Yeah, and they ran it to the finals, but also at the beginning of the day, Jim Davis came swinging with Mono White, a deck that won a Red Bull over the week. The Red Bull event that was running parallel to Star City as well. Yeah, and these are players who, uh, some of them already had invites to the Star City Invitational that's coming up, so they were able to splash the pot with something different. They wanted to come in uh, if they already had their invites, so they weren't terribly worried. So at that point, the goal for them was not to win or top eight at the event to get an invite. It was to enjoy themselves and do as well as they could possibly make a little coin along the way. And that's a completely different goal than somebody else who's competing in these events. And this, the Star City Invitationals are kind of this microcosm of what you might see in the future with the MPL, where you have so many Invitationals running and so many people coming back to play in every one that goals shift over time. And what two people in any given match are playing for is going to be completely different. So things are going to be weighed differently by each individual player. And from there, it does absolutely affect the metagame. There was a player that made it into the top eight whose sideboard was effectively, I think, 14 out of 15 cards because one was kind of a clunker. They couldn't figure out what it was about. And uh, it was something that this player had prepared for in the metagame for a very specific matchup for a very specific reason. But the commentators didn't have that. They had to kind of guess at it. And they said, jokingly, that people are going to take this list and just directly import it. And if it starts to take over standard, you're just going to see this one random sideboard card that nobody can explain. Yeah. It's just going to be like this essentially what became a, a, a personal reason for this card become an inside joke. Yeah. And again, something that could happen through the MPL and kind of change the way things are viewed from a metagame perspective through what is now our competitive metagame, be it in paper or a digital-only format. This is going to be a driver. We might actually go back to what was happening in the early 2000s where all you had in front of you for high-end events was a Grand Prix Top 8. Yep. So you would sit there and you would refresh the text coverage that BDM was putting up until Top 8 lists hit, and then you would find the deck you liked in that event and but yeah, buy it and just play it until you found the next best deck. And that might just be what happens, but we might just see more shifts in the metagame because people who are, like I said, on the cusp of one format to another, especially in a drop-down situation, just you know, change right, to something else. Fun. Yeah, they enjoy it more. Yeah. You, why play Why play? You know, Team Erect the entire time when Mono Green Stompy is also kind of enjoyable? If you have your invite, if you know whatever it is, just make the switch over to something else and take it away. Absolutely. I, I think it's going to be really interesting with the way they have the ladder set up, that they're trying to obviate the risk of, like, you know, you hear people sign off before the season resets and, like, seeing if they get in, and they sign off at, like, Mythic 76. Yep. And then they log in, and they're 1,100, and they miss the cutoff. And yes. it's like, well, yeah. you know, I this kind of does take some of the drama out of that, if you're in Rivals and MPL, obviously. But, you know, like you touched on, it kind of opens up the possibility of players taking it a little bit less seriously, which is something I hadn't thought of. So maybe we do see a bit more the, diversification there. The, uh, but That problem of having to spend time logged in jamming games to attempt to keep your rank because ladders close at a very specific time, but people keep playing 
is a problem I'm glad they solved, but also is a problem is also is a feature I don't understand. I have a friend that ground to Mythic one. They are were literally number one I think two weekends ago in insane or constructed and have no invites anywhere. Yeah. Why? Why why is this person going to go nowhere? It's dumb. Um and I, I think it's also if this goes over well, who knows? Yeah. I think it will be very interesting to see if they try to adapt something like this to paper magic. Because that is going to be drastically different. Yeah. I, I would think. If they do that, then I think the train has officially come to a grinding halt, so to speak. Right now, the pro player train is coming to that halt with the way this the shift is is happening. We saw yeah. it announced by a number of pro, pro players who backed out, a number of people who have spoken out about this based on volatility of the latter and future and uh, uncertainty of their futures, and the idea of being able to play this game at a professional level, meaning you are getting paid enough to to play this game without having to take on any supplemental work, is effectively gone with the digital yep. format. If they were to implement something like this for paper, then by all means, every avenue to play this game at a professional level is going to be gone. And that might be fine for Watsi if they no longer want to make a game that is truly competitive. They want to make a game that's more, that's still geared more for casual players and, you know, for funsies. But I think that's a decision they need to handle internally. And they, it's not a discussion that can be have that they can have uh, lately. They need to really look at it because you can't... If you strip away the pro player dream, then why even have Magic Fests? Yeah. Like, just skip Mythic Championships, right? Just look at Magic Fests, what they wanted to kind of make a bre the bread and butter flagship event for the game. Why even have that if you're not just going to make it a full circus? Yeah. Like, and I, I think that that's... I, everyone knows at this point how I feel about Watsi's decisions uh, and that I still firmly believe that we're looking at you know, five years tops for Paper Magic. I mm -hmm. think that would be the thing that would finally make them say, hey uh, well, let's just kill it. Kill it dead. Yeah. And I think it's it'll be interesting to see because while the pros have generally not been very receptive, obviously, um, I think that at the lower levels, you know, it makes a little bit more sense for the content creators that are a bit more competitive, stuff like that. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting, mm -hmm. I think, to see if they make that decision. I hope they don't, but we'll see... Yeah, uh, I had an LGS reach out to me this weekend, and they asked me what I thought about the VIP product. And we discussed it from uh, a patron standpoint. And at the end of the discussion, uh, this is an LGS that is backed out of singles and basically only uh, really kept the community going by way of running FMs and selling boosters and being the only place to do like large pre-releases. That's what they are now. They've kind of gone back down to a casual status uh they're fairly convinced that with any success in the vip booster market 
no, sorry, booster sale and the way double masters may turn out that this is the way physical cards go into the future because the game itself and the competitive aspect is going to move entirely digital. You still have yeah. to support paper because you have those you have those players. People want to play EDH. You can't cut out your largest market because there's no EDH on Arena yet. Yeah. And you also can't cut out paper pre-releases. Those are still, you know, cash cows. But you can absolutely change the way your paper product is handled and make product that is more wheat, less chaff. Yeah. Your boosters cost more because you're not just opening draft chaff anymore. Which sounds odd, but when you just look at a physical card game from the standpoint of you have nothing but pre-release kits and a more expensive sealed product in the form of double masters or VIP, then you can absolutely split your printing, split your product for, you know, here's what it would be if you were going to play online with a draft kit. Otherwise, here's how you get your actual version of the product to play with in paper. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as we touched on in our episode where we were talking about what we see in the future uh, of Magic, that was a point we both raised, was that you can't get rid of the pre-releases. And you know ultimately the paper game has to exist in some fashion Mm -hmm. but i think that this is you know this this is it and if what i've heard from vip as well uh you know it's it's whales it's collectors i was curious about it until i saw how trash the new karn art is sorry mark teden i love your art that new karn does not look good let me put Uh, it this way we have uh is it Three art for Karn himself by the time we hit Karn Liberated. Not, we're not counting uh, four CMC Karn or yeah. other four CMC Karn. We're looking at Karn Silver Golem and Karn Lib. We've uh, had... You know, he was on Miscalculation. He was yep. on who knows how many cards. But if you skip over... So, like, we have the, that art leading up to this, right? But it, So if you go back to that old original art, for Karn Silver Golem, and you look at the art from that era, it is, aside from the arms being proportionally way too long for the body, not too far off from what he was originally. I don't understand the blue part of it. I think that has to do with the liberated portion where he went through the portal. Yeah. But other than that, it is, like, grotesque enough to fit back with that Saga-era art. Yeah, Karn Lib was a, was a lot cleaner and a lot rounder, uh, you know, like you expect from Mirrodin. The, their baubles are finely polished on Mirrodin. Yeah. But back on Dominaria, when you're just melting shit together, this is what it's, you get. It's mostly the face for me. I just don't get it. Yeah. But, you know, that's un- unrelated, obviously, to what uh, we're I'm we're telling you, the, the face... Is bad, but if you go back and look at the uh, Karn Silver Golem miscalculation, um, yeah. I think he's on. He, uh, no, his blueprints are on Stroke of Genius. Yeah, um, you go back and look at like those Karn arts. It's going to be just as bad, not as melty, but just as bad. Fair. I do like the playmat though. I will say that, and I wish, you know, they really leaned into it. Right? They went. It's uh, what is it? Yeah. It's, Mine, Power Plant, Tower, Karn, Karn in that Karn. order. Yeah. I wish somewhere... I know Mark Tadeen didn't do it, but I wish Worm Coil and Expedition Map were in there somewhere. I wish they had just contracted Tadeen to, to do all of them and just make yeah. the Tron playmat. God, like, awful. I, 
The style is awesome. I like it. I'm not going to stop playing my Japanese Chronicles Tron Lands because sure. I have them. Yeah. But if I was just going to lean in hard when I'm playing Tron, I would absolutely own that playmat. Terrible. The, and the Worm Coil engine looks like a Graboid from, Tremor, from Tremors. That I do love. It's, the movies were great. Yeah. Classic. One and like five are on Netflix for what it's worth, but nowhere in between. But not two? That's the best one. Uh, I wanted to watch two and four, and I believe four is like the... It's supposed to be the story of how the Graboids got to Earth or whatever. Got to Earth, yeah. It's yeah. the prequel. Yeah, but it, it two, three, and four are not on Netflix. Bummer. That's terrible. But, yeah, I, I think moving the this weird tournament structure, this weird bracket structure... The tournament structure is not weird. It's kind of fine. You just direct challenge from... Round, yeah. It sounds like it's direct challenge via round robin. Yeah. Which, I, you know, that's pretty... Well, not exactly normal for fighting game communities, but it's somewhat similar. Yeah, I'm not not used to that. Pokemon used to do that way back in the yeah. day when Watsi was yeah, running it. Pokemon events, when you played at a gym, quote-unquote, for the card game, was a round-robin event. Um, yep. But yes, direct challenge, and then you're, like, mathematically in or out after a certain po point in time. And that's where, what I mentioned before, where the goals people then have are going to be different. But I don't think you can bring that to paper because that creates too many uh, too many tiers of players to try and figure out who has to go to what events, why, and how. And yeah. you go back to that weird pro system of, like, okay, is Watsi paying for people to fly around if they're on the cusp of these things because now they're going to be the propped-up player? Yeah. Or once you make what used to be platinum, is Watsi going to pay for you to go to this stuff because you're the propped-up player? And, like... I would assume they either keep it as is, and maybe with a little bit of changes, or just shut it down entirely and let people compete for funsies in paper. I don't, I don't expect them to change the way the, the pro club, quote-unquote, works. No, at, at this point... Well, I, I would say too much invested in the pro club, but we all know that's not true since it changes every three months. Yep. Uh, but I, I think at this point, they're all aboard the arena train. Yeah. Especially, you know... I. They said Pioneer Masters is the first. This fall will be the first of possibly many releases. Well, that sounds just like Vintage Masters on Moto. So at this point, I it's safe to say that Moto is going to be on the way out before too long. Yep. And they're all aboard the arena train. And I think that it behooves them mm -hmm. to continue to run the pro train on arena just because you don't have to worry about COVID. No, nope. can still run events. No, absolutely. Uh, the only thing is, like, the MPL just doesn't sync up with the with the pro player, so you still have these two avenues to be a pro. You you your success might translate because being good yeah. at the game is still being good at the game, no matter what platform you play it on. But you know, if you're not being an arena pro, is different than being a paper pro and vice versa. Look, Marcio Carvalho can't cheat three times in the top eight on Arena. There, I said it. <laughs> I mean, look, you're not wrong. You know, Paulo can't move spreading seas around from his last white source to a sulfur falls yeah. and then back when a judge asks him to stop. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that happens. Like, and you do cut out those avenues, which is great, but like grinding the pro scene is different than just grinding Arena. And the people propped up on the MPL are not the same people that were the ones yeah. traveling to those paper events. And it's not like it takes a different kind of person or things like that. You know, I think Huey's still in the MPL. I think PV might still be in the MPL. 
there are there are players that have success in both formats because again being good at the game is being good at the game it's just right now Watsi has created this kind of gap for whatever reason between arena pros and paper pros while and while there is a bit of an overlap there's not a lot yeah they're just kind of creating personalities on arena and then personalities and paper without really trying to figure out a way to merge them well and they could kind of fix that if they wanted to by making mythic championships go a little bit more digital or moving the top eight to digital or something like that and getting people familiar with seeing these high level events in that fashion in that way and you can still have the quote-unquote gathering with the game it's just a logistical thing that's all it is you know you look at the way uh riot handles league events uh high res handles large other smite events uh, how Rocket League stuff is handled, and like people are on site playing these games. It's not like they yeah. do all their land stuff on site because ping is lesser. You can control the environment. It's just like the arena MCs, but you just don't have that overlap yet because for whatever reason, Watsu wants to kind of keep those pools separate. And it, yeah, I I couldn't tell you why, and it doesn't not make sense to to join them. I just don't expect it happening if they want to continue to have paper and arena kind of run separately. Yeah, that's fair. I I think it it certainly does to me seem more like they're trying to flesh out and granted right now they can't really flesh out a ladder for paper because we can't play paper. Mm-hmm. But this seems like a somewhat convenient time for them to basically say, "Hey, um Look at all this cool stuff we're doing with Arena right now. Uh, let's ignore everything else and just focus on Arena. And intentionally or not, I could very easily see it becoming a, well, we've been focusing on Arena, and paper sort of yeah. falls off. Especially with the supply line issues that they've been having, it makes a lot of sense. And then like, just to dovetail us back into finance, at that point, people are just kind of left holding the bucket with, well, yeah. what do we do? And you can either continue to look at EDH as an investment vehicle because, again, until everything that every card everybody can play is on Arena for EDH, yeah. you're still going to play that format in paper. Or you might want to look into Sealed as an investment. Yeah. And I, especially with the products that are coming out now, I mean, we just heard uh, Commander Green, Commander Spellbook Green, whatever it is, that guy uh, is push. delayed till December. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, like we we push singles because they're easier to store and easier to flip, and generally speaking, the timeline on them is shorter. But again, sealed. I, mean, we've, I think we've talked about this almost every episode for the last two or three. Sealed is still a vehicle for finance, and overall, yeah. it is a little safer because it's, uh, excuse me, the supply for sealed is limited. It has uh, what is it? A two-year shelf life, so to speak, in regards to print, and then after that, it's gone. So your timeline is about five years before it goes up, unless it's something really in demand, something like yeah. Cons of Tarkir, where the, you know you have the fetch land. So obviously that shortens the timeline. But at five years, you can almost guarantee that you're going to get out at a profit. The only problem is you need to buy a case or more, so that yeah. is a, an, a huge upfront cost. You want to do it from somebody who has distro connections, and at that point, you're still probably close to like 600-ish. It's like, no, sorry, 500-ish. It's like 480-plus at $80 yeah. a box times six, right, just for a standard set. That's like 480, yeah. so you'll probably be 520 after tax or something, just for a case. So that's a lot to hold to hold up in 
capital and then you just need to set it aside until it's ready to go and if you release it before it's mature it's most likely going to be a loss like that is the problem yeah. with sealed compared to singles but the singles market is a little easier to kind of pick and choose because there's generally speaking a delay that you can get in on and then at that point it's just a flip yeah, yeah. or you have future vision and you want to hold on something because it's reserve list or um it, it was an edh reprint that's going to come back like we we just saw today exploration be reprinted in double masters and if they don't reprint burgeoning then burgeoning is going to keep going up after a reprint so yeah you have your 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 way cut out for you your path set yeah. so to speak but if everything moves over to arena like that's it you know the singles market is kind of there we're not in a, mar a modern market crash yet but we could be I would expect it pretty soon at this rate, because modern's kind of dying. Yeah, but without, we'll see. Without paper support, it's very difficult. It still fires a ton of moto events, and if they move it over True. to arena, that will most likely buoy the format. Yeah. Um, if they keep going backwards in time, who knows? But uh, that's kind of a, a TBD. And if we lose modern, then yeah, you're just left with you know EDH and sealed because who's playing standard not on arena over edh yeah so say lovey yep it's an interesting announcement that kind of ripples and so it's good to hit this one and then the pioneer one we'll talk on uh in, in the future because yeah. there there was more than just the pioneer masters coming out they're also doing amon cat remastered i think that's the name of yep. it uh, yeah let me find that yeah it was amon cat remastered yeah. They're doing... uh, they said this will be the first of many again, so... Yep. Uh, they are... Historic is returning because they were going to do some Mythic Championships in Historic. Um, they're making it all access. Oh, they're bringing back Dominaria as well. They're essentially just bringing back a lot of these old sets that didn't have a lot of buy-in or might not have had a lot of buy-in because of uh, the beta window. Yeah. Where the client wasn't actually alive. It was just in a very in, a, in an extended beta for people to buy into. And then eventually we'll get Pioneer Masters, which will probably fill in the gap from yep. what, for what's needed. And once we know a little more about that, we'll definitely come back more. Like something called Equestrian. Yeah. Un, undetermined. It's in the future. Who knows if it'll be a paper release or not. Yeah. Ah. And then some unique historic stuff that's tucked away at the bottom of the uh, June July 15th announcement that we will... We will link, but it's all just kind of hearsay. It's a lot of here's a here's a code name. Here's what it might have to do with Cantil anymore. So we'll yeah, we'll hit that. All right, picks. You ready? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna you take, start. Yes. Uh, yeah. So my my pick for this week is the card Decimate, but from Odyssey. So uh, Decimate from Commander 2016 has been on the Card Kingdom biolist for a little while but while it was there the odyssey one was quietly removed or being removed from tcg player i don't think it's entirely gone yet no nope, we are down to 20 unique prices from this weekend when there were almost 30 let's see Not bad. yeah there were 50 unique prices for the commander 2018 and 2016 uh, and 80 prices for conspiracy we're down to 20 for odyssey so this is a card that is moving when i 
announced that this was my pick. Card Kingdom is buying 14 at $2.05. They are currently buying, uh, this is on the Monday that we're recording, 20 at $2.05. However, over the weekend, it shot up to $2.25 so, uh, for 20 So that was a little interesting. So this card's still being bought. Uh, sorry, supply is still being pulled. Not Card Kingdom's buying, players are buying. That's what I'm getting at here. So Decimate in and of itself is one of the most played red-green cards according to EDH Rec. You just filter for red-green, it's in the top 30. After Mana Rocks, it is uh, very close to the top. And this is a card that just goes in anything. Does it play red and green? Okay, cool. Throw it in there. More colors, the merrier. This is just yep. a premier removal spell for you know, the Gruul color base. It does four things and it does it extremely well and extremely efficiently so the within a game itself you know you hit a land and enchantment an artifact and a creature it just gets everything what i think kept decimate down was for a while you had to have four unique targets yeah they have eroded uh, quote unquote eroded or more so oracle decimate to allow you to choose the same target multiple times to satisfy the targeting requirements. So, you know, you can now hit an enchantment creature for both artifact of those targets. Creature. Yeah, artifact creature for two, and then get the rest of it. You no longer need the four unique. They still all have to be legal when the card tries to resolve, but you can now pick one card to satisfy more than one condition. Yeah. So, uh, with that said, it makes playing this card a lot easier. It is criminally efficient at what it does and it allows you to kind of play a little bit of like a political game as well <clears throat> it's not just a blanket wrath yeah. so you can you know carry favor it, it it's a really interesting card to play in gruel for four mana usually you expect a wrath like i mentioned either like a literal wrath of god or something like shatterstorm or tranquility that gets all artifacts all enchantments instead you can just be pinpoint Sword. accurate yeah and get them and they're gone um, so, what else do we have about this? There's been no real large set printing of this. It's just been the original Conspiracy, Commander 2016, Commander 2018, Odyssey. Doubtful we'll get something that's efficient in Standard again, or really a Master Set. It's not quite there. This might see a another Commander reprint, but at that point, yeah. this then gets the benefit of more eyes, which means... Because there is continued demand, it will still pull from the we will still pull from the population, and this card will rise afterwards. I don't expect yeah. that to affect the card as a whole. Sorry, as a whole. For sure. Um, my my expectation overall is that this card is going to kind of parallel the card Hull Breach, which destroys an artifact or an enchantment or both for just a red and a green. Yep. And that this will have demand into forever, and the. The timeline on this is probably by, I think, mid-2021, we should see this hit $5 buy list. It's already $6 TCG market right now. So there's a big gap between those two. Uh, you were able to turn a little bit of a profit over the weekend, but as the Odyssey version ticked down to uh, 20 unique prices, we lost that opportunity. Eventually, the CK yeah. buy list will catch up because they are buying more than they were before. So that, that goes to show that people are still buying this card from Card Kingdom. I think there are six left total on the site. 
and if you can get in sub three, that's where I would look because getting out uh, at five within the next year is very possible. If it is not in Commander 2021 or whatever Commander products uh, we have between now and then, so the draft set 21, anything else in the in the next year, then I see no reason why this doesn't become for the Odyssey version uh, a 12 to 15 dollar card overall. Yeah. I think this uh, is just something that needs like a little more attention, and then it's gone. But for right now, it's just going to be its kind of quiet uh, rollout until they all disappear, and then all of a sudden. And then there's a whole bunch of rage over market fixing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it because middle school is a great format. Uh, I also think that, honestly, something like this, like you said, the reprint equity seems kind of low, unless yeah. it gets shifted somewhere to, like, uh, we're going to downshift it to an uncommon for limited in some stupid master set. Yeah. Well, at at that point, Odyssey's still probably fine because you've got an old border, you've got a unique art, mm-hmm. and there's things there that help it retain a little bit of its price. Yeah. And even long term, doesn't matter that much because, again, uh, you've got basically the, more eyes on the card. So it doesn't really matter as much at that point. And I think that that's that's kind of what gives it the extra edge over something else. Yes. Because, you know, it has that little bit of collectability, more eyes, because it's kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, when you went to Vicious Shadows, a lot of people just don't know about that card because oh. they started playing after, and there's no eyes on it. Yes. And so. because this was only released in those two years in conspiracy it's not like this card has gotten a lot of press so it absolutely has just fallen away despite the fact that it is in the top 30 red green cards on uh edh rec so yeah i don't i, I don't see it much like a blasphemous act i think this is just another card that needs a little push yep. or it will just slowly disappear on its own and then all of a sudden so either yeah. way, I, I think you're you're looking at something decent. And I, thank you for bringing up the the alt art, or sorry, the Odyssey being the only version of that art, because that was part of why I went with the Odyssey version over anything else. Aside from the fact that yeah. it had fewer copies overall, it had it was a little bit more pricey in regards to uh, buy and sell, and that's just something that kind of slipped by me in, in this recap. So thank you. Oh no, you're good. Yeah, um, I'm going well significantly more current with mine uh and i questioned you on this one what i questioned you on this one why not the other one yeah uh so i went for kiora best the sea god and the question was why not shark typhoon and i said well shark typhoon is more than a penny spec at this point uh granted at 99 cents for a mythic from theros which was heavily opened it's kind of a penny spec uh i went for kiora best the sea god for multiple reasons one Every set that releases, I like to identify something that I see as EDH gold. Mm-hmm. And Unbound Flourishing was one that I did incredibly well with. Uh, Kiora Best of Sea God was my target from Theros Beyond Death. It's something that's incredibly easy to pick up in trades to like uh, like a dollar off. Throw me some Kiora Best of Sea Gods. People let it go like crazy. It's got really good EDH appeal. It's a really good control finisher. And Legacy Shark still is a thing that runs this in the sideboard. So do some of the Simic decks in Historic, which, if it ever comes to paper, is a big deal. Yep. Uh, it's something that kind of thematically fits big, dirtly Krakens, Leviathans, whatever people like to do. I also just happen to like the art on it a lot. Yeah, Sagas are an incredibly good 
card type. It's a unique function, and mm -hmm. it's not something that is easily reprinted because it is attached to Theros, specifically by Kiora. So you've got a master set and commander sets that are on Theros because at this point, if we're only getting commander sets attached to a block, probably not too worried about Kiora coming back. And I think that, you know, at sub a dollar, probably fine if you can pick it up for even up to two dollars honestly yeah it's, it's it's just a very casual appeal card that's going to be a slow burn mm -hmm. uh it's you know sitting at currently just the base set uh version is sitting at around 286 results so there's a lot to go through Damn. it's also something you'll find in every bulk box at every store mm -hmm. if they've got one it's a true bulk rare if you've got a shop that does a deal, buy four, you know, buy five for three bucks or whatever, go for it. Uh, I just think long term, it's a really good, solid sit on 20 of them and wait till it hits five dollar buy list and walk out the door with it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm trying. Uh, I'm scanning Wreck now because I swear, since there's like Tribal Kraken on here, which I didn't really know was a thing, I thought I would see <laughs> yeah. there's. I thought there was a um, a bounce spell that returned all non Kraken, non Octopi, non uh, whatever spells. There is. It's just not it's, showing up, which is kind of a uh, bummer. Is it Nadir Kraken? It might. Oh no! Well, it's whelming wave. Whelming, whelming wave. There wave. it is. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. Yeah. Return all creatures except Krakens, Leviathan, Octopi, and Serpents for four mana. Yep. That and, is so bad. Well, I mean, look. To be fair, I learned there is tribal Kraken. Okay. So like, uh, 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 um, we're all learning today. You can play a Rixmethis, You know the land that is a Kraken, Slinvoda, Kraken. Nezahal, Kraken. Oh, Rexiel, Kraken. Of course, yeah. Yeah. This is an... Lorthos. Yeah, I like. I didn't bother looking this. I just questioned you because I thought yeah. create an eight-eight Kraken was like the third part of the saga. To, like to me, this is just uh, a a card that when you draft it, you go XL, but you don't want to play this constructed. So I just kind of set it aside for for EDH, which is why I questioned you. Yeah. And uh, and it's. The interesting thing you mentioned that constructed it doesn't see play except for EDH. The only reason it sees play in historic is emergent ultimatum. Mm. Because it lets you cast it in Oro decks without having to have, you know, all of the requisite mana. Uh, because I don't know if you've been, you know, if anyone out there pays attention to the historic meta, the emergent ultimatum deck is so fun. Um, but you can just cast. Or a best of Sea God for free. I, I have not played against yeah. this card to Constructed, but I have played against it in uh, Yarok EDH. Oh, yeah, it's bad. At which point you have to choose between Peregrine Drake, uh, Dead Eye Navigator, or Worldly Tutor. Yep. Because they go to yeah. your. Yeah, because they, yeah, they go in, back into your library. So you were effectively getting the rest of the combo with it. It, no, uh, seeing that there is a Kraken theme, uh, I really don't want to have to keep saying this. <laughs> In EDH, it, it absolutely makes sense. And for 
a mythic in a set that, that had the opportunity to be opened, we will we are seeing that kind of price depression. So it is not a bad idea if this is a card that interests you because you want to move out, move in on something that has constructed playability behind it in historic, uh, yep. as well as tribal backing in EDH. This is definitely uh, the card you want to pick. And knowing that it is played in Historic is actually a little more useful for me than uh, when we had discussed it, especially um, like things like Yorion are in here for EDH, which is constructed. Like You can definitely play yeah. that in the same control deck. Um, you can go real deep on it and uh, make a Kraken with your Kraken and um, playing Crush of Tentacles. Yep. Or make an octopus with your Kraken with Crush of Tentacles. It's yeah. It is definitely a card to think about in regards to that bulk mythic or close to bulk mythic that has playability behind it already and the ability to grow up towards a three to five dollar mythic, even if that's yeah. the low end. And as you said, this is very much tied to. Uh, Sagas and Kiora herself, so we won't get this in a set that does not have Kiora or a set that does uh, not foreshadow the yeah. return of Kiora. So you you can expect this to really not make a comeback. It was a while be before we had Sagas again. We had that in Dominaria, and it was almost a f it was over a full year before yeah. we got them again in Theros. So if that's kind of where they want to put them, and they want to put them in, in enchantment-themed sets, unless we go to Sarah, I don't know if this is going to come back outside of Theros or a core set. Oh, so. and the other interesting thing is, looking at all of the mythics in the set, uh, this is the only one that is not a creature or planeswalker. Uh, you've got all of the, you know, Calyx, Ashiok, Elspeth, mm -hmm. and then you have the, the Titans, Titans, and then the gods. And yep. the other one you have is Nyx Blue Machin, which is obviously insane in EDH. Yes. And this. Cura Best the Sea God. That's kind of cute. So it's it's interesting that when you think of the mythics in the set, you think of all those other cards. You don't think of Kiora Best the Sea God as a mythic because you assume as a saga it's part of a cycle. I'd go further and say I don't think of it as a card, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I, I, it, it was there and gone. I've I've drafted it, I've played against it in draft, uh, and it never came back. It has never been relevant again that's in my life until you until you made a pick out of it, and that's what I that's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> Always here for the E. Absolute <laughs> filth bulk rare to make money. We're gonna make Sarkin's unsealing a thing, guys. One day. Wait, one day at a time we'll get there. One day we won't get a jumpstart reprint and uh or a second print wave, rather, and we'll make money on that card again. Probably not. I mean, look, I don't track Sunbird's Invocation anymore. I just know that every couple of months they like to throw me a curveball and put it in some product. Yeah. Oh, God, it's back down to a dollar. What is going on? It That's was terrible. Yeah, exactly. It, was, it wasn't in Jumpstart. It was in promo packs. I think the yeah. ones that just started going out. So uh, neither here nor there, neither here nor there. But Fair, yeah. Uh Unless you got anything else, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Hopefully, we get a little more information about uh, Pioneer on Moto sooner rather than later. Um, you know, right now we're in the middle of the Double Masters, Kerfluffle, and uh, seeing spoilers for that, which 
I'm sure we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks because it's kind of interesting. Uh, not oh, yeah. box topper issue aside, the set itself looks a little interesting. But uh, I'm I think... gonna get upset over free money. Yeah, exactly. Okay. How dare sure. they upshift eight cards? So uh, for that, for this episode. I think we're all set, and we will see you guys next week, either on YouTube or the podcast app of your choice. We will come yes. straight to your face and your ears. But I am at Halt, I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, on Patreon, on Facebook, Spotify, Stitcher, and I think I said YouTube, but if I didn't, on YouTube. We will see you guys. See you guys.